Good morning, everyone, and a very warm welcome to morning worship at Hillhead. As you know, uh, our Minister Katrina is on holiday this week, but we are really delighted to welcome back as our guest preacher this morning, Fiona Parrott. Um, I think we've all met Fiona, at least on Zoom, if not in person, when she did part of her student placement from the Scottish Baptist College with us earlier this year. Fiona, you are very welcome. We are really looking forward to what you have to say to us. And as I think I said to you in our email, you are among friends. So we hope you really enjoy this experience. Fiona will be leading our worship, but also taking part will be Adi, who will lead us in the Lord's Prayer, Jeff, who will lead scripture for us, and Elizabeth, who will lead our prayers for others. Our musicians this morning are Paul and Yang Yang. And in just a moment, Wendy will be lighting our candle for us. Just a wee reminder that Wellington Church is holding a concert at 7pm this evening in aid of the Lodging House Mission, a charity that looks after people who are homeless or excluded. The concert will feature the Mystic Chorale from Boston, Massachusetts, supported by the City of Glasgow Chorus. Now, there is no admission fee, but there will be a retiring offering on behalf of the mission. And then it's lovely to see Tamara with us this morning uh, because we got the wonderful news on Friday that the ultrasound of Ben's uh, brain showed that the bleeding is healing and uh, he is making good progress. Uh, Tamara, I know that it'll be a wee while before you'll be back on your feet again, but it's just lovely that you're with us this morning. Please remember to Heather's mum. Heather's mum had a fall uh, last week, and so Heather's had to go up to Inverness unexpectedly. So we remember her too this morning. But now it's time for Wendy to light our candle. As we gather for worship, let us join together to become the body of Christ. Christ is the light that lights our way. May we glimpse Christ's light this day.
Let's pray together. Creator God, our strength, the everlasting God who never grows tired or weary. Some of us are full of energy and enthusiasm, soaring on wings like eagles, running and not growing weary. But some of us are exhausted. We may even be struggling to walk without becoming faint. But we fix our eyes on you, knowing that you will renew our strength as we wait on you. Lord Jesus, our Redeemer, some of us have had positive experiences this week and are full of gratitude. But some of us are feeling discouraged, very conscious of our weaknesses and repeated failures. But we fix our eyes on you, knowing that you, our great high priest, understand our frailty and asking that you would bring us encouragement as we worship you. Sustaining spirit of peace, some of us have had calm, untroubled weeks, maybe even time of rest and refreshment, but some of us are anxious and in turmoil. Concerns about making ends meet, extreme weather patterns, apparent lack of compassion in our government, international conflict. But we fix our eyes on you, asking you to grant us an inner peace that transcends all understanding as we give you thanks and bring you our prayers and petitions. Father, Son and Spirit, Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer, putting to one side as best we can all that is occupying our thoughts, we fix our eyes on you as we wait, worship, praise and pray. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
we listen for the word of God in these words from Hebrews. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. <clears throat> Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they may gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and floggings, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sword in two, they were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Amen. Morning, everybody. It's nice to be back here, but it's a bit strange standing this side of the lectern and a bit more nerve-wracking. So when I was trying to decide what to speak on today, I was looking at the lectionary readings for today, and the one that drew me was this passage from Hebrews, which Jeff has kindly read for us so well. Thank you. As we look at it together, we're actually joining with millions of Christians around the world who've read the same passage, and I hope as we look at it, we'll find encouragement. So I want you to imagine for a moment that you're running a marathon. Now, for some of us, that's going to be a big stretch of the imagination, certainly for me. But imagine you're running a marathon, spectators lining the streets and filling the stadium where the race is going to end. Now, that's the picture that the writer to the Hebrews has here at the beginning of chapter 12. We're runners in the marathon of faith, and those who have gone before are spectators. Now, I've never run a marathon, so I'm not an expert, but apparently the hardest part comes about the 20th mile. The beginning, you're full of energy and enthusiasm. When you get towards maybe the 24th mile, it's nearly the end and you can keep going. But when all the energy is depleted from your muscles around mile 20, that's when you're most likely to quit or certainly slow to a walk and just go one step at a time. That's very much the way the people that the Hebrews was written to were feeling. One writer puts it like this. These people are exhausted. They're tired of the world, tired of worship, tired of the spiritual struggle. If you like, they're in their 20th mile on the verge of giving up and the writer's trying to 
stop them or encourage them to not to give up. Perhaps they feel a bit like the person in the picture that Bethany's just going to put on the screen for us. Sorry, Bethany, I should have given you the heads up. Um, so it's, it's by Van Gogh and it's entitled Worn Out. So maybe some of them felt quite dejected like that. And I just find talking to people these days, a lot of people are finding life and faith a struggle. So many people have said to me, since the pandemic, they're really struggling to reconnect with church. But I think what holds a lot of us back and makes us feel, we're not sure whether it's worth trying to keep going, is that we fall into the same patterns again and again. We never seem to make progress. Sometimes those patterns are deep-rooted, going back to painful experiences in the past. We might be living with people who are in repeated patterns that they've come to from their past experiences. When we start on the faith journey, we think, oh, we'll overcome these things and they'll change. But as time goes on, we find that we don't and we get discouraged. And maybe those things continue to hold us back. And that's really what I want to focus on today. I'm just going to give a pause here for people to reflect. Now, some people might be feeling enthusiastic about the challenge ahead of us and just want to give thanks and maybe pray for others who are struggling. But some of us might feel like we're in the 20th mile of our marathon, plodding along in our set routines, maybe thinking about chucking it all in and wondering if it's worth carrying on. Maybe we might just want to name before God any weariness or discouragement that we're feeling, or maybe just look at the picture as a, a kind of wordless prayer. So Paul's just going to play some music for a moment just to reflect. So 
It's in the 20th mile of a marathon that encouragement from spectators can be really important, apparently. But sometimes encouragement can initially seem rather discouraging. One friend of ours who was struggling to run a 55-mile ultramarathon heard two onlookers lookers saying, oh, he'll never make it. For many of us, that would have been the encouragement to quit. But for him, it was a boost he needed to keep, to keep going and prove that he could and he would make it. And in the same way, in Hebrews chapter 11, some of which um, Jeff read for us, but the whole of the rest of the chapter tells us about many of the other faith heroes from the Old Testament, as the camera kind of pans around the stadium of spectators, there are a few surprises. So we might expect to see Moses and Abraham and Joseph and Noah, but some of the other people that are there are, frankly, rather shocking and disturbing and I want to zoom in on just one whose inclusion some people find particularly difficult to cope with, and that is Jephthah. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with his story. If you've got a Bible, you can look at it in cha- Judges chapter 11. But he led the Israelites during this chaotic period. But probably what he's most remembered for is a rash vow that he made that he would sacrifice the first thing he saw coming out of his door if God gave him victory. I'm just going to read that. Not his whole story, it's too long, but the bit that really makes people struggle to see him among the faith heroes. So he was trying to negotiate a peace settlement with the Israelites' enemies, but they didn't pay any attention. So then the spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah. He crossed Gilead and Manasseh, passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and advanced against the Ammonites. Jephthah made a vow to the Lord, If you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me, when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Then Jephthah went over to fight the Ammonites, and Israel subdued Ammon. But when Jephthah returned to his home in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter, dancing to the sound of tambourines? She was an only child. Except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and cried, Oh no, my daughter, you have brought me down and I'm devastated. I have made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. My father, she replied, you've given your word to the Lord. Do to me as you promised, now that the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the Ammonites. But grant me this one request, she said. Give me two months to roam the hills and weep with my friends, because I will never marry. You may go, he said, and he let her go for two months. She and her friends went into the hills and wept because she would never marry. And after two months, she returned to her father and he did to her as he had vowed. And she was a virgin. Now, we might wonder how on earth could Jephthah's story encourage us to keep going in our 20th mile, throwing off everything that holds us back. We think, what on earth is he doing there? I mean, maybe the writer to the Hebrews is just giving us a potted history of Israel and Jephthah's kind of the best of a bad bunch in the terrible time of the judges. Of course, he led the people and rescued them against their enemies. But lots of people might say he lacks faith rather than exemplifying it. And his story raises a lot of difficult questions. However, despite feeling resistant to his inclusion here, I just want to ask how we might find ourselves in his story, in this narrative, and how, although it might initially seem discouraging, ultimately, it might be encouraging, so bear with me. So Jephthah didn't exactly have the best start in life. Earlier in Judges 11, we find out he had quite a few of what psychologists would now call aces or adverse childhood experiences. His mother was a prostitute, so shame was probably part of his everyday life. 
Later on, he's chucked out by his half-brothers and made homeless because they don't want to share their inheritance with him. So while these early traumas don't excuse his later rash actions, maybe they might lead us to read his story with some understanding, maybe look at our own repeated patterns or those of other people's with some understanding too, looking at what we've gone through. So stigmatised, disowned, marginalised, what does he do? In Judges 11, he joins a gang. In fact, he becomes a gang leader. So he surrounds himself with equally disaffected people who share his resentment against society that's rejected them. Now, that might seem quite far removed from our experience. I don't suppose many of us have been in gangs or been gang leaders. But I think sometimes, isn't it easy when someone has hurt us to seek out the people who agree with us and our critical assessment and validate our anger? So maybe we're not so different from Jephthah. Jephthah's life turns around when the Gileadites need him to lead them against the Ammonites. But here too, I think there's a recurring behaviour pattern that maybe isn't so unfamiliar to us. So it seems like as a gang leader, Jephthah had honed his negotiating skills to protect himself and secure the outcomes that he wants. And when the Israelites ask him to lead them against the Ammonites, he uses those skills to great effect to make sure that they don't just ask him to lead them against in this military campaign, but actually to be their permanent leader. And that's, that's what happens, he gets his way. But then when he tries to negotiate a peace settlement with the Ammonites who are attacking him, that fails. So then he decides that he'll try the same bargaining tactics with God, and he makes a disastrous vow that he will sacrifice whatever comes out of the door first if God gives him victory. Even though the text doesn't suggest in any way that God's asking him to do that. Now, our circumstances, again, totally different from Jephthah's. But can we honestly say that patterns of trying to control outcomes are totally foreign to us? There could be a way of reducing anxiety when life's chaotic, or we might just think that our way is the best way, and nobody can do it quite as well as us. But I guess we all sometimes manipulate situations to have things the way we want. And then there's the really terrible, heartbreaking moment when Jephthah's daughter, his only child, comes out leading the victory celebrations. Now, I don't know any of your situations, and I don't want to cause pain to anybody who's gone through any kind of abuse, but a particularly problematic part of the story is the way the daughter's reaction to her father's vow has been interpreted. So some have seen her acceptance of it as a sign of faith, but others have highlighted how this story could actually be used to tolerate acceptance of abusive behaviour, and sadly, we probably have to acknowledge that that's been the case. We also might want to ask, why does nobody stop what Jephthah had done? And the reality for Jephthah's daughter in a male-orientated society was that she didn't have any choice but to accept her fate. Now, that might not... Some people have interpreted that to mean that she was put to death. It might not mean that. It might mean that she was had a life of enforced celibacy devoted to God and the loss of any prospect of a family. But she had no choice. However, if you look closely, you can see that despite that lack of control, she does assert autonomy. She asks for something for herself, as we read in the passage. She asks to go away with her friends for two months. And that could also be a way of distancing herself from her father. And again, I wouldn't want to say anything that would make anybody do something that would put themselves in danger or, or jeopardise their safety. But maybe some of us are in a habit of just placating others for the sake of peace. It's just something, a natural response, and we, we just don't want to stand up for what we think. 
but maybe sometimes choosing to take a small stand against someone else's controlling behaviour, distancing ourselves from them, or even just expressing our own desires might be an important step. But meanwhile, what does Jephthah do? He's clearly distraught by the realisation of what he has done. But he actually seems to blame her. He says, you have brought me down and I am devastated, he says to his daughter. Uh, We don't know whether he ever admitted that he was at fault, though he does give her a request to go around with her friends in the hills for two months. Maybe what he actually did was repress his guilt feelings and bury himself in his work. In Judges chapter 12, we see him continuing to command the Gileadites and leading the Israelites for six years. So, blaming others, using busyness as a diversion from facing the things we have lost. Maybe that's not so unfamiliar to us. But I also kind of wondering whether he ever lay awake at three in the morning thinking, why did I make that stupid vow? I really wish I could turn the clock back begin that day again and do everything differently. And I don't think there's many of us who haven't had times when we really wish we could unsay things we'd said or change choices we've made that have negatively impacted people who are really precious to us, whether it's children, parents, friends or fellow Christians. I'm going to give another pause for reflection here so that we'll get a chance to ask whether any of these patterns might be things that God's inviting us to acknowledge, not to beat ourselves up or get more discouraged, but just to let light shine on things we might be running from, but things that are wearing us down and holding us back. The light can be uncomfortable, but it's really only as things are revealed that they can be faced and dealt with. So Paul's going to play some music for us just now. I don't want to just stop with seeing ourselves in Jephthah's story because that could be rather a discouraging form of encouragement. Although sometimes it's helpful for us just to see that actually the characters in the Bible were pretty much like us. But how could the ways that we are like this unexpected, surprising and perhaps shocking spectator give us a boost to keep going and maybe look at some of the things that are holding us back? Well, I think first, although we began by saying his inclusion here is a bit of a shock, I think the very fact that he is here as one of the people who have assurance of what they hope for and confidence of what they don't see, which is how Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 defines faith, I think that can be an encouragement. I don't know about you, but sometimes I find stories about great faith heroes a little bit discouraging because I don't find myself being very faith-filled or heroic. So when I read, as we do later in the chapter, about people who shut the mouths of lions or were sawn in two but didn't give up, sometimes it just makes me feel frankly inadequate. However, Jephthah's inclusion here maybe offers us a clue about the kind of people who have something to do for God and who can join this cloud of witnesses. It's the kind of people who look to others to validate their resentments, 
the kind of people who try to manipulate outcomes to get what they want, the kind of people who blame others to alleviate their guilt feelings, the kind of people who repress their grief and bury themselves in loss in, in their work, the kind of people with regrets about things that they wish that could be unsaid. In other words, people like us. We're not disqualified by continuing to struggle with unhealthy patterns. In fact, maybe it actually qualifies us to be spectators who can cheer on other people whose energy is flagging as they despair of changing. But maybe we can also be encouraged by a hint in Hebrews 11, chapter 40, about what it was that Jephthah and the others were hoping for, but not yet seeing. Verse 40 says that God planned that only together with us would they be made perfect. So the heroes in chapter 11 were still waiting to be made perfect. We are still waiting to be made perfect too. Part of the motivation for not giving up in the 20th mile maybe comes from the assurance that one day when the whole creation is restored, we will be made whole along with those who came before us and those who follow after. But what about in the meantime? What can we do to keep going in our imperfect present? Well, despite Jeff's flaws, he didn't give up in despair. I mean, maybe there was some unhealthy avoidance in his burying himself in his work, but he continued to lead the Israelites. And maybe that can encourage us to keep on running with perseverance the race marked out for us. This verse came alive to me recently when we had our 16-month-old grandson staying with us. He's just discovered the joy of running. Now, of course, he has a lot of tumbles, and this might seem a bit of a cheesy illustration, but when he falls, he doesn't give up. He just picks himself up most of the time and carries on. And it made me think of a verse that I love in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 11, which tells us that the righteous person keeps on getting up even if they fall seven times. And if seven is the perfect number, you're saying no matter how many times you fall, even if you just couldn't fall again, it's not the falling, it's the rising again that counts. I recently came across a picture by Van Gogh, which Bethany's going to put on the screen for us just now. Sorry, okay. Anyway, it's called First Steps by Van Gogh. And I think it's a good illustration of something else that he that can help us to persevere in our imperfect presence. Oh, that was it. Went, came. There we go. So Hebrews 12, verse 2, encourages us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, so that we do not grow weary and lose heart. Sorry, I'll give you a moment to finish that. I made it two, should have made it two PowerPoint slides. There we go. That's it. So we're encouraged to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, so that we will not grow weary or lose heart. Now, when our grandson falls over, one of the things he usually does is look around to make sure his mum's there. Now, sometimes there are big mishaps and they need lots of comfort, but mostly he just needs to know that she's nearby. Like the little child in the picture, he keeps his eyes fixed on the person to whom he is most attached, and that gives him the reassurance to keep going despite tumbles. This may be a bit like a little child running on sports day who falls over during a race and the tears are starting to fall, but then they hear a voice calling their name from the finishing line. They get up, they look at their parent, and then they run towards their outstretched arms. Jesus has already reached the finishing line and he knows the demands of the marathon course. He's the one who will ultimately make us whole. But meantime, he waits with outstretched arms and hands that still bear the marks of what he did for us to carry 
our unhealthy patterns, our weaknesses and our failures and our sins. He waits with outstretched arms to welcome us with grace and forgiveness when we pick ourselves up, fix our eyes on him and carry on running. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we bring our prayers for others before you, we look on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We want to be like the believers of old who are steadfast in their faith and despite many obstacles and difficulties, remained faithful to the end. In faith, we continuously pray for all the citizens of Ukraine, both young and old. We pray that peace would soon come upon that land again. We bring our thanks that ships are now leaving Ukraine, filled with grain that will bring much needed food to many countries. We remember those who have been victims of violence, like Salman Rushdie, and the victims of shooting in Jerusalem this week. There are so many today in Afghanistan, Syria, Yemen, Sudan, and so many other places where lives young and old are oppressed by violence. Lord, we remember them and pray for mercy and peace to come to your world. In faith, we pray for those in authority, 
that they will earnestly seek for solutions to the economic crisis that so many of us in this country find ourselves in at the moment. We pray that those in power will have a heart of compassion like Jesus, that they will really care for those who are finding life hard and have difficult decisions to make each day. In faith, we pray for all those who have been badly affected by wildfires and drought. We ask for forgiveness for the way your creation has not been cared for. And in faith, we pray that big companies will change their policies to be more caring to the environment. We pray for Katrina and hope that she will be enjoying a time of rest, relaxation and renewal as she has a much needed holiday. In our church prayer diary this week, we remember teachers and children returning to school. We pray that teachers will feel refreshed and renewed. And for children starting school for the first time, changing school or changing class teacher, that they soon settle and are happy. We pray for Tamara, Hannah and Erin and Ben. We ask for your blessing on them as a family. We thank you that Ben is healing after his traumatic birth and continue to pray that Tamara will heal and gain strength. We remember Jenny, Neil and Faye, Graham Little, Holly and George, especially for Holly as she settles into her, her new appointments in the hospice. We remember Sheila, Heather, Kurt, Stuart and Persia. The Baptist Union of Scotland asked us to pray and give thanks this week. The larger church gatherings meeting once more and small groups that we will we'll restart after the summer holidays. Jenny Wilson in her role as the General Director's personal assistant and she helps prepare for Canopy Online. Kilmarnock Baptist Church, as they make Jesus known in the town, as the, and as they run the Renew Wellbeing Group, along with other ministries during the week. Ukrainian families who have come to Scotland or who are in the process of applying for refuge here. We pray especially for children who may be very traumatised from the war in their home country. BMS asks us to praise God for those in the United Kingdom who are exploring overseas service with them. We pray that God would guide them as they go through the selection process. BMS has been seeking a surgeon for a hospital in Chad for several years. We pray for a suitable person to come forward and serve in this vital role. BMS not only sends and supports those from the UK, but also from the rest of the world. And we pray for the growing number of people that are supported in this way and for those in the application process. We pray for the BMS Explore Days. These are events for those wondering about cross-cultural mission and what it looks like at BMS. We pray that people who are interested and willing to serve will be prompted to attend. We pray for those who are giving up their time, finances and skills to serve in much needed short-term roles and for others to join them in serving this way. BMS have a large list of current overseas vacancies and we pray that the right people will step forward to fill these vital roles. 
the BMS Mission Programs team are supporting people exploring their core with them. We pray that they would know God's wisdom in all that they do. We bring all these prayers in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. go may you be strengthened by God the Father who never grows weary to keep running the race with perseverance and may you know the everlasting arms lifting you up when you fall may you have the grace to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus waiting at the finishing line with outstretched arms and may the spirit give you assurance that whether you are running or stumbling you are eternally loved and forgiven amen (laughs) 